Isles Barheads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for this privilege, this honor, even of gathering together as family. Father, thank you for fellowshipping with us and thank you for setting aside mornings like this one, beautiful mornings like this one, so that we might do this very thing with you as well as with each other and be encouraged by each other's faith. And for as long as it is called today, may we continue to encourage each other in every way possible. Father, thank you for sustaining North Christian Church through spiritual gifts and giving. What a wonderful privilege it is to serve you and to worship you on a Sunday morning in a church like this. May we never become familiar with these kinds of blessings. Father, we pray for those that can't be with us to enjoy this morning, and we pray for those that are lost, who we hope might be with us someday in the future. Father, we're most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt and to make a morning like this a reality. We do just ask for your blessings on this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, Undistracted Devotion to the Lord, Part 7. I think one of the most instrumental passages we've read together this past week has been John 4.34. Go there, John 4.34. Very, very telling. Um, I think it warrants an awful lot of critical thinking in our own lives. John 4, verse 34. <clears throat> and it's a bit of a, I don't want to call it a paradox, but let's go with that. John 4, 34. Jesus said to them, John 4, 34. Remember, the disciples were concerned about Jesus' health, his eating, uh, physical things, which is, you know, something to be expected uh, when you're coming from the physical realm. Um, you concern, you're preoccupied with physical things. And Jesus said to them in response, essentially, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Of course, he's speaking about his father in heaven. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Now, that's a very telling thing. Up here on the board, this is how we're going to begin this morning, with a whopper, really, of principle. My food is to do. That usually doesn't register very well. Uh, certainly not with unregenerate individuals. My food is to do. This may seem like a paradox to some, especially unbelievers. However, it is fundamental to our spiritual walk. We do in order to be sustained. Again, my food is to do. Jesus said this. This may seem like a paradox to some, especially unbelievers. They don't have the faculties to even understand such things. However, it is fundamental to our spiritual walk. We do in order to be sustained. It's a 
quote, paradox because it doesn't make natural sense, does it? To do something, to give, in other words, in order to receive, um, it doesn't make natural sense. Again, that is to give away when you have a basic need, like to be sustained. That makes zero natural sense. Uh, if you have a need, you tend to gather unto yourself. That's what unbelievers do. That's what we do in the physical realm, is it not? We harvest food. We harvest drink. That's what we do. We gather unto ourselves. But Jesus was saying something completely different. My food is to do. That's what sustains me. So it makes more logical sense that we don't give away, but rather receive in order to be sustained. Again, it makes logical sense that we don't give away, but rather focus on how we might receive in order to be sustained. I mean, that's the basic premise of eating physical food, right? I mean, you don't give away food if you're hungry physically. It just doesn't make natural sense. But this is what Jesus was putting before his disciples and us thousands of years later. This is why unbelievers remain focused on physical food and even worrying about how to receive more and more of it. This is what we see. Unbelievers. This is all they worry about. Food and shelter. And how do I get more? How do I get more? Because they don't have faith that God will provide. So this is why unbelievers remain focused on the physical things, how to receive them. And this is why the Spirit keeps bringing we believers back to the idea on the board. Again, my food is to do. Again, it, this may seem like a paradox to some. However, it is fundamental to our spiritual walk. We do in order to be sustained. It's also why the Spirit keeps reminding us of other verses in support of this. Go to Matthew 6.25. Matthew 6.25 Matthew 6.25 Jesus constantly made this an issue. Matthew 6.25 For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. You see? That's not natural from a, uh, from a human perspective. Again, birds are taken care of. He says, look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Hmm. You of little faith. 
Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat? Or what will we drink? What will we, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. Again, that's all they know of. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I, that just reminded me. Remember the old now? Do you remember that? The old now slide? Focus on the now. Remember I used to, I used to open every class with that, that um, slide. And it was really, it was Philippians 3.13 and Matthew 6.34. Philippians 3.13 said, But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. And then Matthew 6.34, So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Where does that leave you? It takes out yesterday. It takes out tomorrow. It leaves you with right now. Right now. That's all that's left is today. Right now. That's what your focus should be on. That's what the birds, that's what Jesus was saying with the birds. They're not gathering into barns, worried about tomorrow or next week. They're not worried about those kinds of things. They just have faith that, in their own way, that God will provide. If you want to call it that, you know what I'm saying. God provides. And how much more does God value you, his children? And that's the perspective that Jesus was getting at. Um, in any case, it's this last verse, Matthew 6.34, that makes me reflective regarding this morning's message. I was thinking about it, and I invite you to do the same. And we got a couple of guys going out in the mission field in a little while, and I was thinking about Joey and I going out and the stories from uh, Scott's previous missionary journeys and other feedback I get from like Kenya and India and Pakistan and all these other missionaries that write to me. Uh, I don't know, probably 20 times a week. I get probably at least 20 emails a week um, from individuals across the globe who are out on the mission field. And they're seeing it, like right dead in front of them all the time. And it's interesting because I was thinking about it. One of the most amazing things any missionary sees is that folks with much, and I've got all capitals here in my notes, much less than we Americans have in terms of stuff, have much more faith in God to provide than we do. Imagine that. We're gathering unto ourselves. They don't have anything to gather. And yet, they have more faith than we do that God will provide. It always brings me back to um, when Joey and I were in India. We went out to a remote village, and these people were broke. You think Some of you think, oh, I'm so broke. No, you're not broke. These people were broke. If you go in my office, most of you have been in my office. Oh, I say the kitchen. Most, I, know most, I know all of you have been in the kitchen. Some of you spend so much time in there. But anyways, the guy's house, he had, uh, he had two kids, right? The guy's house, he is married with two children. His house is about the size of the kitchen, maybe, maybe a, a two foot this way. 
That was it. And they served Joey and I and the others that were with us um, a phenomenal meal. I mean, probably what, like five courses? It was crazy. They didn't eat. They didn't eat any of it. They served us while we sat there like kings. And they had no, you had to understand, these people have no money. That meal alone probably cost, I don't know, more than, a, I don't know, maybe a month salary or something like that. I don't know. More than that, two months. It was so expensive that they didn't eat. And they insisted that we have more, and they kept pushing more, more, more. You have more. And they basically hovered around the table and served us in their own home, in their own home that was about that big with four people in it. So if they were so preoccupied with God not providing, would they give away that much food? No. No. Because they were bringing glory to God. It's like the woman with the alabaster vial. A year's salary poured on Jesus' feet, right? And who complains? Judas. <laughs> Why? Because he was an unbeliever. And unbelievers always focus on physical things. We can't give away. We could sell that, put it in a kitty, and do good things. No, that's the wrong thinking. Judas. So I was thinking about that. Again, one of the most amazing things any missionary sees is that folks with much less than we have here in America have much more faith in God's ability to provide and His willingness to provide than we do. What we see overseas from Christians is a much more evangelical attitude. The Christians that I've met, they just want to spread the gospel. Every just, I'd say 95% of the emails I get from people on the field, you know, from, from the homelands, all they keep talking about is help me spread the word. That's all I want. Send me Bibles. Educate me. Just get me better at spreading the word of God. When's the last time someone outside of this, even in the church, came up to me that way? It's, geez, I wonder if, I wonder if uh, Alice is going to cook the Charisse quiche because I'm hungry and I need some more food. Do you know what I'm getting at? When's the last time any of you have approached me? How do I, how I, how am I a better, how do I become a better evangelist? No, I get, you know, hey, what are we going to do with this? Or what, when's the next potluck? Or when's the next this? Or when are we going to do this? And nothing wrong with those things, but you know what I'm getting at. It's an attitude difference. The Christians overseas are way more evangelistic as a way of life. And I'm not comparing so you guys feel bad on a Sunday morning. It's just perspective. And it's good perspective. DGA and I were talking before class, uh, thinking back to a time when we spent little or no real time focusing on evangelizing. Some of you can relate. And we were thinking we were, uh, you know, the cat's meow when it came to the Bible. And we spent very little, if no time, evangelizing. Too worried about our, you know, spiritual maturity. Too worried about learning big words and doing this and that. Meanwhile, there's people out there starving for truth, and we're sitting behind or up in ivy towers. You know expecting them to come running to us. Well, if they knock on my door, I'll talk to them, but 
other than that. If I sit on my porch with my coffee, my Starbucks mug in the morning and someone happens to run by, someone actually happens to trip into my driveway and roll about a hundred rolls to my front step, then I'll give them the gospel. Because then I know it was God the Holy Spirit who brought them there. Something wrong with that picture? Isn't that like literally the opposite of Jesus' great commission? You go out to the four corners of the earth. Hmm. Anyways. So we were talking about that. Thinking back to when we spent little or no real time focusing on evangelizing. And yet, our perfect prototype spent his life poured out for the gospel. And he was always sustained. Always sustained. Okay, back to John 4.34. John 4.34. It's just a perspective issue, my friends. And a lot of us need to think this way, the way Jesus thought. This is why this stuff is recorded. It's not per chance that these things are recorded. John 4.34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to accomplish his work. See, activity. My food is activity. Up here on the board again. My food is to do. This may seem like a paradox to some, especially unbelievers. However, it is fundamental to our spiritual walk. We do in order to be sustained. Verse 35. Do you not say, or do you not say, There are yet four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, that they are white for harvest. And that would mean, in agricultural terms, whites on the top of the grain meant ready for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. That's a good point, too, because you've got to remember that we are a corporate body meant to evangelize. We were talking about that as well, DJ and I, this morning, how um, it's probably extremely rare that anyone is ever evangelized by one person. Usually it's a collective. Usually they see this is called conversion. Usually they see this person... A seed is planted. They see that person. The gospel's given this way. The gospel's given that way. The gospel's given this way. All the while, they're you know exhausting themselves in the flesh, and then eventually, collectively, God changes them and saves them. That's what He's saying there. One sows and another reap. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. And so we have to think of. This We're going to end, if we get there this morning, in the corporate realm. That we're a body. That, you know, if we both know the same person, it's both our jobs to evangelize them, in a sense. We have to always be on alert to sow. And maybe someone's dead behind us. And it's our job to pick up the mantle of evangelism. So, let's think about what the Spirit's trying to impress upon us a little differently for a moment. 
When's the last time you said aloud, man, I'm stuffed? Or, my belly's full. Hold that thought. Most of you are like, I was like this morning. It was back there at the table. I ate seven donuts. But hold that thought and hold the feeling you might remember having in that moment, the fo- what it meant to feel full, the feedback, the fullness, what that felt like. Think about what it means to be filled up, to be full, and then to give in order to be filled up. In other words, you're going to end up with the same feeling of fullness, but only this time, instead of stuffing your face, you're actually going to give. Jesus was calling upon this very possibility only in the spiritual realm. In John 4.35, when he said, Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. In other words, you want to be filled up this day? Go reap. Go sow. This is about the gospel. You want to be filled up? You want to have joy? You want to have peace at the end of the day? You want to be uh, satiated, or sated if you would, satisfied at the end of each day? Do. My food is to do. That's what Jesus was saying. And then he goes on to say, reap now, essentially. Reap the harvest. For, quote, already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life. Verse 36. So to bring together what the Spirit's trying to convey to us. He's saying that feeling of fullness is something that we ought to feel when we do for him. And we will. Nothing's going to fill you up like actually doing the will of God will. Nothing. You can have seven good meals in a row at, um, what's that place in Providence? Capitol Grill. You will never feel as satisfied as when you do His will. And more practically speaking, if we aren't full at the end of each day, we might ask ourselves, why not? Why not? Up here on the board. The fullness of Christ. Jesus Christ went days without eating physical food, and yet he never worried about being sustained. He was always, quote, full. He went days without eating physical food, and yet he never worried about being sustained. He was always full. So we ask the question, what does being full mean here? What's the Spirit saying? Well, up here on the board, John 1, 14 and 16, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. That is our sustenance. For His fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. So we have access to grace and truth. That's what you're doing right now. You're getting a grace gift given to you in the form of a message that some other human being, remember the corporate body, some other human being spent hours yesterday 
preparing for you. It's no different than a physical meal in an, in an analog, uh, as an analog, when someone spends hours in the kitchen preparing a meal for you, and you sit down and eat it in some sh much shorter period of time. That's what it means to receive grace and truth. You're doing it right now. And that's what fills you up. Furthermore, appear on the board, since he is full of truth, and truth shall make you free, he is also full of freedom. And he's willing to give that to you too. I mean, that's what Galatians 5.1 is. For freedom he set you free, to enjoy your freedom. So he's full of truth, and therefore he's full of freedom. Question is, do you want freedom? Do you? Raise your hand if you want freedom. All right, then obey his commands. Oh! Yeah! It's like a rubber band. Wait a minute, you didn't tell me it came with, like, disclaimers. I knew it. should have read the little fine print in the contract before I raised my hand. Now I've got to obey his commands. You want freedom? Then obey his commands. Starting with receiving his grace from this pulpit and from your own time reading your Bibles. As I've taught you in the past, you have to possess the actual substance by which to remain obedient to. When you say, well, okay, I'll be obedient. Yeah, but you don't actually know what the commands are, so how can you be obedient to commands you don't know? See, that's the trick I play. You have to possess the actual substance by which to remain obedient to, namely the Word. The Word, of, the word is the bread of life, remember, which means it's your sustenance. Such is the value of North Christian Church and your pastor. Let me say that again. The word is the bread of life. This is your sustenance. Such is the value of North Christian Church and your pastor and every other spiritual gift that functions behind the scenes here on a morning like this. This stuff just doesn't happen. These fans, look at, oh, they're just magically turning. The shades are just magically closed. The temperature in here is just magically just right. The deviled eggs are just magically amazing. <laughs> oh, yeah. I got a special delivery. Someone hooked me up. No names, just saying. <laughs> Those things just don't happen. There's a bunch of spiritual gifts, a bunch of people who are interested in advancing the gospel. Some of you, it's like news. Really? Well, I, I thought everybody just showed up, turned the lights on, and stuff was here. No, there are actually human beings that put aside hours and hours collectively so that you can be fed. Such is the value of North Christian Church and yours truly. I say this based on the word. Go to Ephesians 4.11. Ephesians 4.11. It's amazing. It's always like the transition I don't know when it happens for some. Some it happens earlier than others, but there's always this transition. I think people, some people are in their 
late 20s, their 30s, sometimes even in their 40s, and they act like children still. They act like children. You know, like they just show up to church. They don't ever do anything. They just show up like they show up to their parents' house, you know, and they raid the fridge, and then they leave. Or they show up and they just, hey, you're going to cook for me here or what? And then they leave. That's a child. And I think people show up to church like that, like children. They never actually grow up. They still are like children. This isn't mom and dad's house where you show up and you raid the fridge. And you show up, you make a mess, and you leave, and mom comes arrive with a little Swiffer and cleans up after your sloppy butt. Do you know what I'm saying? Because she's glad to do it because she's been doing it for like 70-something years. Shame on you because she's 70-something, and she's still cleaning up after you. Some of you are like, ooh. Do you know what I'm getting at? The average age of the person that actually does stuff in a church, it's got to be what, DJ, in the 50s or 60s? If I wasn't 49, it'd probably be 70. Do you follow what I'm saying? What the heck's wrong with that picture? Anyways, I digress. Ephesians 4.11. Some of you are still acting like children, I guess is what I'm saying. But it's just the way it goes. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. For what? For the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Up here on the board, we saw this on Thursday, to the fullness of Christ. Jesus Christ is our standard, our measuring stick. He is the highest mark representing perfection. God's desire is that we are complete or mature in Christ. Colossians 1.28, compare that to Romans 8.29, 2 Corinthians 3.18. The result is freedom. Galatians 5.1, Romans 8.29, up here on the board, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. This is God's desire, remember, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Verse 14, look what happens then. When you built up to the fullness of Christ, that's our direction, remember. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. Some of you need to hear that, those two words. You just heard them in a roundabout, kinder way. But this is less kind, grow up. Grow up. Seriously, some of you need to grow up and fill, backfill the space. We are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, you see the corporate body in view, what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. Do you like being an individual? I hope so. Well, you know what? You're an individual part. And what does it say? According to the proper working. That's a calling on each individual, as an individual, but in the corporate body. And what happens? It causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Again, I've taught this probably six, eight months ago now. There's a difference between um, unselfish lovers 
and selfish lovers. We have both in this church. Selfish lovers always take. I mean, give me, gather unto myself. Do you see? Not yet quite developed that giving mentality. It's more about gather unto myself. What does that sound like? It sounds like an immature person in Christ. It sounds like somebody who doesn't believe totally that it's more blessed to give than to receive. It sounds like someone who doesn't believe just yet that you'll be filled up when you do, that you'll be filled up when you give. That's the difference between a mature person and an immature person, even in Christ. It's one of the first things I look at. If there's ever an opening in my staff on the leadership team, the first thing I look at is how much do they give? And I will look at your finances too. Trust me. How much do they give? Not only finances, but I will look at that because that's one of the primary reasons, one of the primary ways people fail the test. How much does a person give? Because that's a maturity issue. And when I see a certain amount of giving, it usually is closely tied to a certain amount of peace and stability. It's amazing. These things come in pairs, just like the Bible says. But you see, an immature person doesn't believe it yet. And so they, they, do the, they, they do the same thing they do in their regular life outside of this church, you know what I'm saying? They gather unto themselves. They come in, you see them sweep by, they peruse the table, they go through the church. I hope I'm not describing anybody, I don't ever watch this. Go through the kitchen, you know, they kind of like hover a little bit, like I don't want to look too desperate. And they sweep by the table. I got a donut, a Twix, they come out and there's like each finger's got something populated in there. A donut sticking out there, Twix is right there, and a devil egg right there. And somehow they got a, a giant 55-gallon drum of coffee right here, and they go over to the couch, and they lay down on the couch. And they serve me. I'm describing people in here. Why are you guys laughing? Some of you are laughing, and it's you. DJ has everything filmed. You think he turns that thing on early, tweaks it towards the couch. We're watching. Think we got time to do that? I just pray that people come around and people grow and people learn to love and move from being selfish lovers to selfless lovers. So let's back up now and think about the big picture. The Spirit's saying that obedience results in being filled. For that very notion is impregnated into the Greek word pleroo. Think of being filled to the Spirit. And when we're filled with the Word, which is Christ, which is the Spirit, essentially we enjoy a freedom that transcends all things on this earth. When we're filled with the Word, which is Christ, which is the Spirit, essentially we enjoy a freedom that transcends all things on this earth. And notice that I snuck in the word joy into that last statement by using the word enjoy. And finally, when we reach that point, when you're enjoying life itself, you're enjoying your ability even to do for the Lord, to give, because you know that's what's pleasing to the Lord, you have peace. Because now you have stability. Now you've found the secret, the secret to success, the secret to happiness in life, is actually living a selfless life. Look around. It's not selfish. The most miserable people, even in this church that I know, are still immature in the faith, and they're selfish. 
the most peaceful people I know in this church are the most selfless. And some of them don't have a pot to pee in. Some may, but some don't. So it has nothing to do with the American dream, does it? It's completely divorced from those things. John 15, 11, These things I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. This is what Jesus wants. Therefore, his under-shepherd, anyone like myself that's doing his job, that's worth his salt, wants this same thing for you. That's why a person like me is willing to stand behind a pulpit and tell you the truth, even when it hurts, because the truth sets you free. And when you have freedom, you have joy, and when you have joy, you have peace, because now you have stability. John 17, 13, But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made made full in themselves. Now, before we depart from this concept, let's revisit a passage for the sake of encouraging those of you who might be murmuring in your soul right now about, I don't know, well, you don't understand, Mr. Bald Guy. Trust me, this is not about me. Don't do that to yourself, because that's just a cop-out. But maybe you're murmuring in your soul right now about some suffering in your life. Go to 1 Peter 1.6. Go to 1 Peter 1.6. You don't understand. My life is hard. And I, you know, no, that, we just call that momentum. You just dragged a bunch of garbage with you from the flesh, from your previous existence, before you got to truth, maybe. Maybe even before you were even saved. And you're dragging your feet and you're finding it difficult to be extracted from that old life, finding it difficult to get off that train, and you're getting um, ostracized from your friends, you're finding you're having to give up old habits, you're finding you have to, I don't know, turn, to, turn maybe even turn a shoulder to family and friends. Maybe certain people in your life are not good for you because they don't, maybe they're not even saved, you don't know, but they're not good for you. And they're not interested in being good for you. Not in the sense that Christ wants to be good for you. 1 Peter 1.6 So those of you who are complaining, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation, the deliverance of your souls. Deliverance from what? Your life. From the distractions, the details of life, your preoccupation with such things. And then you have this up here in the boy. Kara Anik Balaitos, joy inexpressible. It means unable to fully describe or report, impossible to communicate, convey adequately by words, hence unutterable, inexpressible, used only in 1 Peter 1.8. You have a joy inexpressible. The Bible also gives us, up here on the board, 2 Corinthians 9.15, thanks be to God for his indescribable, indescribable, and the Greek there means indescribable that cannot be thoroughly related. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And just 
FYI, <clears throat> we know that God has created us with faculties that are easily overwhelmed by his own essence. This is by design. And so we don't feel guilty because we can't express it. It's a gift. It's so overwhelming. It's so magnificent that we would expect not to be able to express fully what it means to us or what it actually is even. Just portions of it. And that's a fine thing. Joy inexpressible. It's so unbelievable, I can't even put it into words. That's what the original says. Jesus Christ. He's indescribable. How would you describe Jesus Christ? I do I struggle. I can introduce what the Bible says about him, but and I know what he means to me, but I mean, how do you fully describe him? You can't. Because he's much bigger than any one of us. You know who knows this? All of this? The kingdom of darkness. So the antagonistic agent in all of this is the kingdom of darkness, which has created counterfeits to rob us of his joy. Remember our series title, Undistracted Devotion to the Lord. Think of all the work, the way we started this series. If I can take you away from him, your first love, then I can rob you of your freedom and therefore your joy and therefore your peace. That's why it's easy to see even a believer who's out of whack for some period of time because they're miserable, because they lack peace. It's easy to see a believer even who's out of line, who's made habit of certain kinds of sin because they don't have the peace that Jesus promised them. So remember our series title, Undistracted Devotion to the Lord. Joy is always the result. And you can look inward. Say, am I lacking joy? Am I? Like true joy. And don't look at all the masks and the games that people play. Well, as long as I keep getting another coffee, I'll be happy. As long as I can afford another coffee or another smoke or another drink or some other drug or some other um, go-to distraction then I'm okay. And that's what we Americans do. We can pay for distraction after distraction after distraction after distraction so we can fool ourselves into saying, I'm happy. But you're really not. You're really not. Divine joy. The world has myriad of counterfeits, but there's only one true joy and it's from following our Lord and His commands. This is tracing all the way back to last Tuesday. The world has myriad of counterfeits, but there's only one true joy. And it's from following our Lord and His commands. John 15, 11, up here on the board. I'll give you that verse. These things I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. On Thursday, the Spirit forced us to ponder the most practical things in our lives. Okay, so this is all great. What about the practical side of all of this? The Spirit has forced us to ponder the most practical things in our lives. And He challenged us to consider all so-called blessings. Now, this is everybody's favorite part, I'm sure, because everybody gets convicted of this. Oh, it's such a blessing in my life. Really? Oh, it's such a blessing in my life. Are you sure? Oh, it's such a blessing in my life. Really? Really? Are you sure? 
He challenged us to consider all so-called blessings in our lives. The net net of that portion of our study was, let's call it a mantra that's been coming from this pulpit for months now up here on the board. Unholy blessings are distractions. Unholy, quote, unquote, blessings. And I mean people calling blessings that aren't really blessings. They're unholy. If they separate you from Christ in any way, they're not holy. At least they could be, but you're not, you don't have the capacity yet to, to handle them, so they're unholy in that sense. What could be holy for one person is unholy for you. You may be one of those people that are just too young, too immature. And the kingdom of darkness is like, let me just keep distracting you with this stuff so that you, be, you fall in that category, that bucket of members of North Christian Church that do nothing, that are still sucking off the nipple, so to speak, of people in their 60s and 70s. You might be that person, and you call it a blessing, but really the kingdom of darkness is, a lot, is in front of you saying, as long as I can keep them distracted over here, they'll never become who they're supposed to be. I give them unholy blessings, so that they don't actually have the true blessings from God. You see what I'm saying? I know, this is everybody's favorite part. He's like, oh my God, I thought we were done with this last week. I didn't come on purpose because I don't want to listen to this guy anymore. I came on Sunday, I figured, uh, here we are. Well, wake up, grow up. Seriously, some of you need to really grow up. And I'm not talking about, I mean, I'm, not, I'm talking to people for everywhere from their 20s, or even Sean's case, in his teens still, to the 50s. You know, it's not age-dependent. Sometimes it is, but not always. Anyways, unholy blessings are distractions. If it takes you away from your first love, it's unholy. A.K.A. it's not good. I mean, can we agree to that? All right. So if, it t- if something takes you away from your first love, it's unholy. It's not good. And warning. Here's a warning for you, you know, wise guys out there. Do not! Look for loopholes or try to justify your sinning or your sinful life or your perpetuation of unholy blessings. Do not look for loopholes or try to justify your sinning by overcomplicating this simple statement. That's called lawyering. And you know who's a master of that? Satan. Say, oh, well, ding, but you're just doing this number, right? Kind of doing one of these things. You become an MC Hammer, right? Start slipping. You'd have to be my age, I guess. Don't do that thing. Don't do that thing you love to do. Justify. Oh, but no. Does it or does it not take you away from your first love? Has it not historically proven to bring you closer to him or further away from him? Are you more or less at peace? And I'm saying, take away the the crutches. Take away the crutches. Don't say all those good meals and all all those things you're doing because you've been distracted. You know, the crutches. Take all that away. Are you happy? Are you having to have crutches over and over and over again to sustain an unholy lifestyle? And you just call it blessings. And you call it a blessed lifestyle. When in reality, if you took those things away, you'd be miserable. Why? Because you've left your first love. That's why. 
You don't give, you take. That's why. So don't do that, okay? Don't do that. Very simple statement. Something takes you away from them, it's not good. Don't be trying to lawyer. Don't do that thing. So if you don't want to be like Satan, the father of the sons of disobedience, Ephesians 2.2, 2, then you'd better stop making room for so-called blessings that are really unholy distractions. Distractions. Mm-hmm. This takes us all the way back to our launching pad for the series, Luke 10, 41-42. This was our launching pad, but the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. Distracted. But only one thing is necessary. That was our launching pad. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Hmm. Now, before we close out this series, let's move from a more individual approach, because that's where we've been. God the Holy Spirit has been saying, all right, you as individuals, I want you to consider this thing. But as I alluded to earlier, we were going to get to the corporate side, and so here we are. We're going to move from a more individual um, approach to a corporate one now in our study. Same topic, undistracted devotion to the Lord, but we're going to move from an individual to a corporate body viewpoint. Okay? So we're going to take a little time to ponder some devoted people in the early church. Go to Acts 2, 37. Acts 2, verse 37. Because you know how it goes. As the believer goes, so goes the church. I mean, the only reason a church like this has any sustainability or momentum really is because it's filled with people that are positive, that want to learn that want to move forward, that want to bring glory to God. I know, we all fail, but we want to, right? I, that, I love that discussion when it comes up between friends. It comes up every so often in my own life. Um, you just can't, he's not going to let you go. If you're truly saved, you're stuck with him. You know, what is, it? is it the Huey Lewis song? Happy to be stuck with you? Is that a song? Anybody? Lionel Richie, stuck on you? Nobody? <laughs> you're stuck with the Lord. He's not going to let you go. If you're his, he doesn't let you go. That's the way it is. And uh, that's a good thing to remember. Anyways, Acts 2.37. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent. Some of you need to do that. Some of you need to repent right now about your lifestyles, the decisions you're making, the, the excuses, the justification you've been, you know, drumming up every day at the start of each day so you could run off and do that same ridiculous thing. Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Of course, he's talking about salvation. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then... Those who had received his word were baptized, and that day they were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting, there's our word, proska tereo in a moment. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Wow, that's a big verse right there, isn't it? They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Up here on the board, devoting. 
in the Greek, to attend constantly, to stand at the ready, persevering affection. Love it. Persevering affection. All this emphasis on our first love. Persevering affection. I think the word affection in this definition stands out for all of us to ponder. I mean, what grabs and holds our own affections? That's a fair question. What grabs and holds our own affections? And as a church, remember we're thinking corporately now, what do we hold to affectionately as a group? I mean, what's the tie that binds us? Why'd you come here? Why not go down the street somewhere? Why not find another church? Some of you are like, oh, well, this is where I go. Oh, so bad <laughs> so bad oh this is where I go this is where my grandparents went no 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 that's bad something's wrong what do we hold to affectionately as a group true fellowship in a church like this one is based primarily on a love and affection for the Lord that's why I come here I love the Lord. I have an affection and a love for Him. I disappoint Him all the time. But I love Him. I mean, that's the same for all of us, isn't it? We come here because we have a love and affection for the Lord. At least I I hope that's the reason. This is why I believe a lot of churches, so-called Christian ones, are way out of line. Just as a little side note, I won't spend real time on this, but food for thought. The church commission. Some people forget this. Many churches make the mistake of focusing on unbelievers. However, the Bible teaches us that local assemblies are for believers. This church is designed to build you up, if, especially if you're a believer. I'm assuming everybody in here is, but who knows. That's what a church is meant to do. A church like this is not meant to attract unbelievers in to train them up. That is a function that can happen. The idea is that you're equipped in here and you go out to evangelize unbelievers and people get saved out there. Then they come to a place like this. Remember like the MASH blog? This is the tent where they come back and you're all bloodied and bruised and hacked up and you come back and you get healed and you get fed. You get to regenerate and you go back out to the field where the work is done, where the harvest is reaped, so to speak. And there's a lot of churches out there that I think spend way too much time on trying to attract unbelievers to fill seats. They'll even lie to them. I mean, go down the street. Go look at the church down the street with the, the, the tallest steeple. That's exactly what they do every single day. As long as you fill that bucket, they, sell the, they send the basket around like nine times during a, a so-called mass. As long as you keep filling that, everybody will just agree. You're good. You're good. You're going to heaven, brother. Yeah, you're a good man. You're a good woman. Hey, I like that tie. You must, you must be, you're going to be getting rewards in heaven. It's all a big fat lie. It's disgusting. It's an abomination. There's no way to cherry coat it. And if you know people in that, let them know. They're being lied to. They're probably not even saved. If they believe their doctrines... They're not saved. End of story. Period. You have any question about that? Come see me. What are they after? Money. 
Who has money? Who has guilt money to offer? Unbelievers. That's why my prayer for you is when you put in the, bas- the, the thing back there, when you give to this church, it's out of love and affection for the Lord. I, don't have to, I shouldn't have to send a basket around. We used to do that, remember? I learned. I was like, what the heck? I don't need to, because you know how it goes, right? I put something in here. Everybody's looking. Then, you know, the people who like, like. I know what we used to do down the street. Hand out like a bunch to everybody in the, in the family. Then every kid would be putting in. Right? You know what I'm saying? It looks good when the whole family puts in. Oh my God, so cute. They must be putting in from their own money. Not really. Gross. Right? Gross. Mockery. Mockery. Because some of these guys have the tallest steeples with a, with a guess what's on the very top of the steeple? A cross. That's called flat out mockery. They're not interested in teaching people like you. Go. What do they teach? Can't even follow it. It's ridiculousness. They're not interested in teaching and raising up actual believers. Why are you guys twitching around? They're not actually interested in raising up believers. I would argue if the vast majority are not even believers. How could they be if they believe their own doctrines? Verse 43. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple. And breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Proska tereo huma thumadon. Same Greek word, continuing, up here on the board. Continuing, remember devoting? Same Greek word, continuing, devoting themselves with one mind, means steadfastly continuing with one accord. In context, describes the strong fellowship in the early church, something every church should strive for and protect. That is impossible if you're surrounded by and attract unbelievers. Because the type of fellowship that we enjoy is supernatural. And it's based on love and affection for the Lord. Unbelievers don't have that. They have religion. That's why they never talk about Jesus Christ. They talk about the church. Well, the church says, and the church does, and the church says, and the church does. Who cares? What about Jesus Christ? Well, he was a good guy, but Mary is the one, the dispensation of grace. Mary is the one who goes like this with grace. So that's why you pray to Mary and you rub the rosaries and all that good stuff. All that grotesque stuff. And people do it like idiots. Some of you know these people, and you don't say anything. Why? Why don't you say anything? Why are you fellowshipping with these people day in and day out? Why do you spend your waking moments with these people? Why are you not trying to evangelize them? Why not? That's a fair question. 
right? This is the practical side of what we're learning. Why is it so quiet in here? You guys know a lot of Catholics, don't you? Half of you are ex-Catholics, if not more. And you have family, right? You think I'm an idiot? Some of you have immediate family. You're like, oh, that's my parents. That's my brother. That's my uncle. That's my kid even. I don't know. Yeah, I get it. Get over yourself. Somebody went out on a limb to save you, to give you the gospel. Somebody did, correct? Wouldn't you like to reciprocate that? Wouldn't you like to pull somebody out of the doldrums of, of, of hell? Certain damnation? Not kind of. Certain for all of eternity. Don't you want to kind of like get them out of that situation? Isn't that the meaning why you're still here? Your meaning is not, the reason for your life is not the capital grill. And living for self. If you understand the gospel, then you understand why you're here. And it's not because of all those so-called blessings. Oh, but my kid, there's such a, oh my God. They're in like their second year of college and they're just so, doing so well. I'm so proud of them. Good for you. How are they doing with the, with the gospel? Are you sure? I know it's easier for parents to do that little brush off. Oh, they're great. They got saved when they were like, you know, three months old. I even baptized them. Yeah, how's that working out? What's the Bible have to say about stuff like that? Am I striking any nerves here? I hope so. That's my job. Does anybody want my job? Everybody's in that toss like, no! Nobody wants this job. Unless it's yours to have, and then you thirst for it. Verse 46. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. I suppose what the Spirit's introducing here in our studies is that this church, yeah, your church, North Christian Church, has been set up for you by God as a source of encouragement. As a refuge even, so to speak. A place where we can all find a little slice of heaven, of peace and freedom. And the functional aspect of these statements is that you come here to eat. And as we begin this morning's message, eating the bread of life is our sustenance. And we are sustained by doing the will of God. Up here on the board, I'll give you the message, 1 Timothy 2, 4-6. He wants not only us, but everyone saved. You've got to know that. Why do you think I'm so bold? I'm really not into bashing churches down the street. If you think that's my MO, you, got, you don't know me from Shinola. I just want everybody, I want every person that's fooled right now down the street with the big steep on the whole tall hat and all that garbage, I want them to be saved. My heart breaks for these people. I'm almost weeping right now. My heart breaks for these people. This is not about me trying to be saying, North Christian Church is the best church on the road. I'm that ridiculously petty. This is about a bunch of people that are going to rot in hell. And some of you know them. And nobody's doing anything. That's what this is about. 
That's what North Christian Church is about. It's not about being better. We're all ridiculous. So God wants not only us, but everyone saved. This is about exclusivity. This is about inclusivity. It's about get people in the family. Not we're a better church. I hate that crap. I hate it with a, such a passion. I feel like punching people, but God says I can't. <laughs> do, you know, do you know that emotion, that emotion itself is wrong? I shouldn't be a pastor and want to punch people in the throat. <laughs> At least I admit it. Right? I'm just honest. I want to sometimes because people are awful. God wants not only us, but everyone saved, you know, everyone to get to know the truth we've learned. That there's one God and only one, and one priest mediator between God and us, Jesus, who offered himself in exchange for everyone held captive by sin. Why? To set them all free. That's God's desire. That should be our desire. Not we should take our liberty, our freedom, and use it for an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Does that sound familiar? I think that sounds like scripture. Huh, is it? Before we close, I was reflecting on this. Who of us can actually say that we don't grow weary sometimes? I do. And we feel like throwing in the towel. I'm obviously the weakest person in here, which is very strange giving Holy Scripture. <laughs> Who can say that they've never doubted or lacked faith? Wow. Yeah, some of you are going like this. <laughs> You're getting there. Come on. Come on. I have. I do all the time. My faith isn't even as big as a mustard seed because I'm telling you right now, I can tell that speaker, not even a mountain, to move a fraction of an inch. It ain't going anywhere. That's how bad my faith is. And I'm up here, and you're way down there. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, right? I mean, we've all, even though you didn't raise your hand, everybody knows better. Nobody's fooled by you not raising your hand. Everybody in the front row is, I can't raise my hand. Only the back row raises their hand. I mean, forget it. <laughs> Who can say that they've never doubted or lacked faith? Who here is bold enough to proclaim perfect love for Christ? This is the value of what we're doing this very day. Hence, our current focus on the corporate bodies, undistracted devotion to the Lord. The corporate bodies, undistracted devotion to the Lord. Remember Revelation 2 and 3, he dressed whole churches. Yeah, well, that's what the Spirit's doing right now. He's dressing our church. He's saying, what about as a church, as a whole? Are we, do we express undistracted devotion to the Lord? Never underestimate the value of this church, my friends. Never. And on the flip side, never underestimate the value of your presence for the sake of others. Never underestimate the value of this church. Never underestimate the value of your presence for the sake of others. 
Amplified Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking our meeting together as believers for worship and instruction, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more faithfully as you see the day of Christ's return approaching. And I'll just finish with this, I think. Mm. I really believe that the Bible speaks volumes about this particular facet of devotion to the Lord. That is the corporate body facet. If you truly are devoted to him, now please listen up because I'm about to close. And this is sort of closing remarks. If you truly are devoted to him, then you will be devoted to the church he died for. Capital C in this statement. The, the organism, the church, the one he's betrothed to. If you truly are devoted to him, then you will be devoted to the church he died for. Food for thought. The point is that true devotion to the Lord is evidenced in all aspects of our lives, including church membership and how we pursue fellowship with others of the faith. Key word, of the faith. Some of you, this is as good as it gets. You spend all your time with unbelievers. Oh, but I'm trying, to, I'm trying to save them. No, you're not. You prefer their company. At least be honest. Then we got something to work with. But the proof is in the pudding. The evidence is in your life. So the point is that true devotion to the Lord is evidenced in all aspects of our lives, including church membership and how we pursue fellowship with others of the faith. Sadly... In many cases, some of you prefer the company of unbelievers or posing Christians over actual believers. I think one of the things the early church record can teach us is that not everyone in a church, even as small and tight-knit as North Christian Church, is a believer. Hmm. What, why do you prefer the company of unbelievers? Why do you prefer the company of unbelievers? Why do you prefer the company of people that want nothing to do with Christ? Why do you prefer the company of people whose very self-esteem is based on someone other than Christ? Why do you want to fellowship with anything that Satan has control over? Why do you want to do that thing? Unless you really are trying to evangelize them. But that doesn't mean, um, you know, dating them or, you know, spending all your time with them because, you know, there's something you want out of them. That's called selfish loving. I'm not going to go over that again. But that's what selfish lovers do. They'll even hang with people that are in need of the greatest salvation of all because they're selfish. Because they, you know, they can get something from them. You don't really, that's not love. That's called selfishness. And we all ought to know better. So I think one of the things the early church record can teach us is that not everyone in the church, even as small and tight as North Christian Church, is a believer. The evidence is in a person's habits. Just consult the Apostle John's writings. If we read Revelation 2 and 3, we see how groups of individuals that form local churches can be pretty much mocked by God. I think I'll leave, yeah, I'll lead with this. The old saying is true. As the individuals go, so go the organization. My hope 
for you is the same as God's. First, I hope you're saved. Second, I hope that this church is encouraging to you. And third, I hope that you learn and grow up and move from immaturity to maturity. And, and in that process, and as we live this thing out, the gospel is held as, as the pinnacle in the highest regard, and that's the reason we're here. We all get it. We all have love and affection for the Lord Jesus Christ, and we all move forward in that direction to bring the gospel out to a world that's just decaying. And we ought not partake in those things. We ought not pretend we are not. We ought not misappropriate blessings in our lives, call things that are actually unholy distractions, blessings, so that we can run off and not do this high order of things that this church has set out to do as a corporate body. That every joint functions the way it ought to properly so that the church can be built up in love. You see the picture? That's what the Spirit's developing here. That's what he's developing here. As the individual goes, so goes the organization. So goes the church. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for this tremendous privilege to study your word. Thank you for truth that sets us free. Thank you for reminding us that that is the only way that he said himself, our Lord, he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. Father, this pattern was set as our salvation. Let us be saved daily, understanding it. We just ask for your blessings as we take the things we've learned out to a lost and dying world, Father, that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.